All right, welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd, and I'm the president here at RTS Washington. And today, uh, I'm joined by a bit of a, a skeleton crew. This is the first week of January 2021. And I'm joined by Dr. Gray Sutanto, Professor of Systematic Theology. And still in 2021, our man in Jakarta. And I'm joined by Dr. Tommy Keene, Academic Dean and Professor of New Testament here. Paul Jean and Dr. Lee are, uh, are teaching this week. And so I'm not sure, I was thinking about this. Is this an essential team or is this a non-essential team? Is this like the opposite of having the essential team? This I is just the non-essentials. This is the best of the best. <laughs> this is the, the creme de la creme of RTS Washington here to discuss this very important topic, which is, I mean, it's the first week of, of 2021. Everyone's making New Year's resolutions or have been making New Year's resolutions. It almost seems like new, the New Year's is now sort of disappearing in the review mirror but this idea of resolving is still uh, fresh in all of our minds. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. That's not just about New Year's resolutions, but we want to talk about this idea of resolving and resolving to improve, resolving to be better, and what that is all about, what value that has in the Christian life, if any, and how do we think about that in terms of being a group of people who are bound up in the grace of God, who recognize that they are dead and they no longer live, but Christ lives within them. How do we think about resolving and making resolutions? So Tommy, get us started on this. I think it's an important topic and it's one that it's, it's difficult as a Christian to kind of have that proper balance. I mean, I, I know growing up in, in a kind of a grace-based church and a saved by faith alone church, you had plenty of people that kind of looked askance at the idea of self-improvement or the idea of resolving and, and considered it a point of pride, perhaps, that they had no New Year's resolutions and because, you know, grace alone will avail us. And that's, of course, true that grace alone will avail us, but biblically, it's more complex than that because grace pushes you forward. Grace uh, gives you new birth. It brings about new creation in, in you and in the world. And so the idea of growing in grace is certainly a biblical idea. But then the other side of things, the other kind of tension here is that you, know, you also encounter people and who have, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get, I don't want to get on those people that put everything in an Excel spreadsheet, but you know, the Excel spreadsheet, New Year's resolution chart, that's, you know, five pages categorized, I resolve to improve in these 64 ways over the course of the year, that is, you know, that is too much and is bound, you know, pastorally bound to bring about probably more discouragement than encouragement. So it's, a, it's important to kind of get it right. How, how do we aim well as Christians in this area of what we might call self-improvement, of growing in maturity and in the grace of the Lord? You know, the first thing that I think about when I think about resolutions are uh, Jonathan Edwards's resolutions. And if you've ever read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, it's a very quick way to depression 
because he resolves so many mighty things there that I'm pretty sure he actually succeeded in most of them because if you consider his life, he was an incredibly hardworking person. But it's also a reminder that we can't get up there. We can't actually live up to the standard that he has set forth. So every time I think about New Year's resolutions, I'm recalling myself back now to Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. And I think to myself, how can I ever live up to my own resolutions? You know, if that's kind of the standard here, I know I probably should probably aim lower to set forth my resolutions, but I wonder how do you guys have any thoughts on how best to think about resolutions? You know, what kind of modesty should we aim at here? If we do want to resolve towards these things, are we going to be aiming as loftily as Jonathan Edwards, who says things like resolve as best as I can to be utterly happy in the, in the next world and take no delight in this world or something, you know, things like that, that he would say. So what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, you know, when I, when I was thinking about this as we were getting ready for this podcast and I realized that early in my life, I, I had this kind of cynical view of resolutions and that it seemed kind of arbitrary, you know, that here on this day in the middle of the winter, we'd all of a sudden all decide to change. You know, I, I think about the, was it that Simpsons episode where uh, the, the greeting card company realized it's not making enough money. So they come up with a new holiday called Love Day. And uh, it's, it's, it's different than Valentine's, but better. And you're supposed to buy cards on it. You know, and I, it's just the kind of the arbitrariness of the new year of making a resolution. And then, of course, you know, you kind of you kind of go through iterations in your life. And um, we were talking about this with our kids and everybody's making resolutions. And I was struck by I think there's an importance about living, you know, living deliberately, you know, and, and being aware of who you are and where you've come from and sort of the chapters of your life. You know, Dan Allender, the counselor writes a lot about this idea of thinking about your life as a story, not, not to be hyper introspective about it, but to be aware of sort of the chapters and the arc. And I think there's something to resolutions about sort of deliberately recognizing that and saying, okay, now where does in, in Christ, where do I want this story to go? Like, where is this story going? And how can I be deliberate about that? And I think that kind of helps you keep from being arrogant. This isn't about me arrogantly or pridefully having victory in these areas of resolution. And it also keeps you away from being sort of controlling, you hope, you know, because you also realize that this, this whole story is wrapped up in the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And, but, but taking, advantage of, taking advantage of our rational minds and the ability to see where I've been and think about where I'm going and to have some kind of commitment, to have some kind of skin in the game. You know, that, that seems to me to be the, if there's a value to a resolution or any kind of vow. And now, I mean, I'm, I'm just coming out of looking at doing a lot of work in James and James talks about vows and you want to be careful about vows being like the only time you say something serious is when you're saying a vow, you know, and, and instead letting, as James says, your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You know, I, I want to, I want to do vows, but I want to do them in a healthy way where it's not somehow diminishing you know, my commitment elsewhere in life, right? Yeah, and that, that stops you from just making an arbitrary checklist that looks good, yeah. right? I think the point there that you're getting at, Scott, is thinking teleologically, thinking f towards a purpose, right? Resolving towards something. So having a goal, setting your mind toward that goal, and then thinking about what are the things that are required for me to get to that goal, to get to where I need to go. So I think there's definitely a 
virtue oriented, character oriented way to think about resolves then because now it's it's teleologically centered, isn't it? Yeah. And I like that idea of living deliberately. Go ahead. I was just to say teleologically, and it's teleological with a past, right? Seeing yourself in this trajectory and recognizing this is who I am. You know, anybody who's ever worked out and in or you know physically, like done a physical workout, like you know, like if you set a time limit on something, you work to the time limit. It's just the way our brains work, right? Recognizing I've been here. I'm not, I'm not good at getting up. And, you know, for me, we were talking about this before writing in the morning, I need to write more in the morning. I want to write in the morning. It's my best time. I need to get up. I know, I know that I'm not good at that. So that's coming out of the past in the teleology of it is that's maybe the existential aspect of it. This is who I am. The teleology of it is I want to get better at doing that. So I'm going to start making some certain decisions to line up writing in the morning or something, you know, something along those lines. Um, and yeah, I think it is. It's about it's it's kind of being aware of who you are and where and where you're going or where, where you want to go. I I like how the your your language of living deliberately, knowing knowing where you want to go tele, teleologically, and it it reminds me of some of the ways the Bible actually talks about personal growth. It's interesting that you know we have that word sanctification and we talk about our growth spiritually as kind of being sanctified. And that's good language. It's good theological language. Teleologically, it's good theological language. But a lot of times when the Bible is talking about this, I'm thinking particularly of Paul's letters and and James, to your point, Scott, it uses kind of more ordinary language, like the language of James is the language of being whole, being perfect and complete, becoming a mature person or or pressing on to, to greater and greater maturity as, you know, as a human being or uh, Paul uh, talks about it as as an increase in goodness, doing good all the more. So we have this kind of very ordinary language that we would use to talk about self improvement biblically and what that what that means and how we achieve it as persons. There's a thing with James as he's as you're tracing his argument, he talks about how we have been made creation, you know, and I think he has something like new creation in mind there through the word of the word of truth. Is that the language that he uses? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, and then he kind of traces what that life looks like. He's kind of mapping out what the outpouring, you know, the, the, the outworking of that life is. And there is this kind of like, there's this sense of being, committed to the thing I'm, I'm switching in language committed to this to this truth that has been given to you in living sort of you know, don't 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 just fall in with the mass don't just fall in with the flow of things right but live deliberately to use that language again you know out of that salvation i think this is kind of what i mean when we talk about the spirit being involved in the consciousness of the person over the course of of the work of sanctification you know it's not just the spirit working behind the scenes where i kind of wake up and i realize i've been sort of extraordinarily saved from the or or extraordinarily you know freed of this temptation or something like that but it's actually often in the working out of all of the elements of the temptation or working out all the elements of the struggle, working out all the elements of your story, I think in many ways, and kind of struggling with it, right? That there's this involvement between the individual in this work of sanctification 
that's so important that I think we sometimes some some flavors of Christianity can lose in their sort of application of grace in such a way that it sort of absolves the individual from being involved in the work at hand. Yeah, there's a really important tension there, right? Of And Paul gets at it, I think, in Philippians 2, where he says, we work because God is at work in us. Mm-hmm. That's the biblical model, is that we, we can resolve and do so non-cynically because people do change. And people do change because God is at work in in us uh, by the power of His Spirit. So it's a it's a difficult tension for me, though. And and one of my resolutions is is to be better at in in my life of prayer. Um, and I think it touches on this. The the I tend to think that if I fail, it's completely on me, and it is in in some respects, but. Failures are a reminder to me of my need to pray for success, to, to, to bring both my failures and uh, successes before, before the Lord, because it is, I, I need his power at work in me in order to, 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 to do better, in order to mature, in order to grow in grace. I, I need his, uh, the spirit at work in me to bring me closer to Christ. And so uh, that, that balance of drawing on the power of God and, and remembering your need for that while at the same time committing, growing, and putting concrete, you know, specifics on your list of, of how you want to commit and how you want to grow has been really helpful. And it's also really helpful for getting out of a kind of cynical mindset. I think a lot of us don't resolve and especially new year's resolutions. You know, the joke is when, when, how long will you go before you break it? But a biblical mindset, again, breaking a resolution, failing is a path to greater grace Mm -hmm. because I have this thing that I can do when I fail, I can bring that before the Lord. I can confess if it's a sin, I can confess it uh, as a sin. If, If I just need more help, I can seek, you know, God's assistance. So that the importance of grace in pushing me forward is, I think, a helpful uh, yeah, idea from a lot of different angles. Yeah, there's kind of like the zero, the zero defect view of resolutions where you're not allowed to mess up at all. And if you do, now it's done, you're broken, you can't recover. Tommy, how do you then, as someone making a re- resolution to be more guess, committed in your prayer life? Okay. What does that look like for you then? Just apart from just having yeah. that thought that you have resolved, okay, I hereby resolve. Right. What happens beyond that? Yeah, it's, it's helpful um, because I, the mistake that I think many of us and I often make is to keep your resolutions as vague as possible. Uh, to, you know, this year I resolved to be a better at prayer is actually not a good resolution, right? Because it's immeasurable. You, you, you can't really put concrete specifics up, upon it. So I get one of the, I think for me, when I resolve to do something, it's like, what does this actually mean? How is this actually going to translate to the specifics of my life? So praying better um, is where kind of the resolution began. But then in my head, I'm thinking, okay, but what does that mean? Second step is to put some concrete specifics on it. And actually, Scott, it might parallel your writing thing. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I need to have a regular time in the morning that's just 
me, scripture, the word of God and prayer. And, you know, some mornings are going to get away from me and that's okay. Uh, but let's say five mornings a week that needs to happen and putting on, putting a concrete stamp on it. You know, this is what, this is how this is going to work. And this is the measurement that I'm using. Now I can go through the motions and not increase my prayer life. And I'll have to ass assess that, you know, at some point, is, is this actually being spiritually nourishing or not? But at least having that specific number is in this case is a help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think that's that, that idea of creating structures to aid in performance is a big thing that we often, I often didn't think about growing up as a young man struggling with whatever I was struggling with at any given, given week, you know, and thinking, well, I guess I just need to sort of commit more to it, sort of set my face towards it and really just push on, you know, and not realizing that, well, there's a lot of things that you can do that make it easier to do the thing that you want to do. You know, there's kind of structures you can put in place um, that help out. You know, you said something about breaking, you know, and, and when you break the resolution, like not letting that be the end of it. Yeah. And I was even thinking, you know, it's, it's when you struggle with the resolution, when you struggle with whatever the activity is, and, and it could be anything, whatever you know, addictions or whatever unwanted behavior that you're, that you're kind of wrestling with, I realized that the, the breaking of it also is informative. It's the breaking tells you something about yourself and what, what's really going on. You know, I think a lot of times I think, well, what I need to do is pray more or I need to write more. I need to be more whatever. Yeah. Showing, you know, publicly affectionate towards my children or something like whatever that is, you know, and it's the breaking in it where you actually find, Oh, this is what's actually what you're actually dealing with. Maybe. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a point John Owen makes when we sin uh, in, in his, uh, it's not the death of death, it's his mortification of sin. He talks about how he, he, when we sin, we're supposed to confess it before the Lord. We do, we, do, we, we do that. But this is also an opportunity, a problatunity to, to track your idols, to, to do a little self-analysis without being you know, overly introspective, without being solipsistic. It's, it's an opportunity to kind of think about, okay, how did, what were the circumstances uh, at this moment that led me to fall? W where was I weak? You know, maybe it's, you know, hey, I notice a pattern of anger in my life. And, you know, I notice actually that, I have, that I'm most susceptible to anger when I don't get enough sleep or I'm not getting enough uh, food or, you know, whatever it is it's an opportunity to kind of take stock of when, when you're weakest, this happens. And I think there's a similarity there with, you know, with, with a resolution. Why, why did I fail? Mm. And how can I put that to work in the next time? And, and to your point, Scott, about vows, I don't think we should treat our resolutions as vows because then once it's broken, it's broken, mm -hmm. but rather as goals. Yeah. yeah. And I think, your advice, Tommy, about being particular is so important because that's exactly how we become, we stop becoming cynical about our resolutions, isn't it? I think we, we become incredibly cynical when we set up resolutions that are just incredibly vague and general and lofty that we can't actually reach up to it. But like, like you said, if our resolution is concrete and measurable, getting up at a certain hour in the morning to pray more 
and measuring that as in five times a week, then it becomes something that is uh, uh, achievable. And at the same time, it's something that you can actually say I've improved upon. Lots of people, I think, are worried about resolutions because they're worried that they would break it and they would not be able to live up to it. And I think uh, another motivation there is basically to say, hey, you might not be able to make every single day of your five days of the week, but if you've made three days or four days, you've already made more days than the year that you didn't resolve, perhaps, right? And so that direction towards a greater goal is already an incredibly psychologically beneficial thing to, to, to see. You've actually improved. Yeah, that's, that's good. And it reminds me of a point a pastor once made to me, which is in, in areas where you're kind of prescribing your own law. So this isn't like I'm going to be I'm going to conquer this sin this year kind of thing, but like, I want to be more fit or I want to eat better or whatever. Yes. Where you're making the laws. um, Often it's good to set the bar a little bit lower than you expect. Um, You know, that concrete measurable bar that you yourself are setting, make it something that's both an improvement. It's a real goal, but it's a manageable goal. You know, I'm going to run uh, a marathon this year. That might not be a man, you know, couch to marathon is not going to be a manageable goal, um, but maybe a couch to 5k is. So set a goal that you can actually meet. And then, yeah. and then if something fails, if you just, if you're pressing forward and just can't meet that goal, lower the goal and make next year's resolution. Yeah. 5K and, and not to be too worried about the speed at which you're going. I think one of the, best advice that I've heard from David Paulison's books is that sanctification is about the direction that you're going rather than the speed at which you're going at it. And as long as you're already moving towards a renewed direction, that's already better. And I think that's already a measurable outcome, like you mentioned before. Yeah, I, that reminds me of another another little nugget, uh, pastoral nugget. My, for those of listeners of the podcast, Training for Pastoral Ministry, uh, a, a, the same pastor reminded me sanctification is slow. Hmm. Sometimes it's fast, but usually sanctification is slow. It's kind of like watching a kid grow. You know, you, you don't realize it's happening in the moment, but 10 years down the road, you know, you can look at the back of the door and see where you wrote those lines, two feet, four feet, six. And, you know, you see that, that progress, but, remind yourself that sanctification is often slow Mm -hmm. and you're in this for the long game. Yeah. And don't be discouraged by the the legendary stories about the people for whom sanctification was fast for one particular issue or another, you know, and that was by the Jonathan. What's that? Sorry. Or by the Jonathan Edwards of the world. Yeah. Well, yeah, Jonathan Edwards, you brought him up earlier. Jonathan Edwards, I think it's good to be read young and early in the Christian life and then to sort of disentangle yourself <laughs> in the yeah. years that follow. I remember reading him as I was trying to discern whether or not go to, to go to seminary, <laughs> reading religious affections and being basically convinced that I was not a Christian. And I can remember at the time I was doing public relations and uh, – I can remember being in a business pitch for this company, for this trade union and my palms, I'm in the back of this conference room 
pitching why we can, I think it was like food distributors of America or something like that, pitching why we can really help their business grow. But the whole time my palms are like sweating because I'm wondering if I'm really a carnal man or a spiritual man, you know, according to the religious affections. Um, but right. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, the, the remembering that these resolutions and that this deliberateness about the Christian life is done in light of the overwhelming grace and love of the father, you know, mm-hmm. through Christ mm-hmm. by the power of the Holy spirit. I think about it like me struggling myself, you know, Scott Red struggling to achieve something is like my infant daughter trying to stand up, you know, and her legs wobble and fall. And what, what's my disposition towards her that whole time? It's just one of incredible love and affection. Right. And, and, and that's, that's, that's the context in which this kind of deliberate life is taking place. It's, is, is it great that, that she's trying to stand up? Absolutely. Is there any sense of failure or rejection when her legs wobble? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and for me, I mean, it's kind of important in all this. So we were reading, uh, we were reading first uh, Peter three the other day as a family. And, and it's interesting how, how often he comes back to this idea of your good behavior in Christ. You know, he kind of keeps kind of couching everything and in, in Christ, you're doing this. Your, your, your behavior is good insofar as it's honoring Christ the Lord as holy, you know, and it's, it's this kind of the same thing with resolutions and, and, and commitment towards change. You're recognizing that the changes is, is, is something that's happening through the power of Christ in the grace of Christ in the, the abounding love that's been shed upon you. And, um, and that yeah. to me actually makes it a joyful endeavor and not yeah. one that's fraught. And I think that distinguishes the Christian pursuit of resolution and good works, something completely different from secularist models of New Year's resolutions, which are frankly metaphysically arbitrary, aren't they? There's just no reason to. Yeah. There's no ultimate ontological, there's no ultimate reason at all to actually get up in the morning and become a better person. Yeah, because no tell no us, exactly right. There's no tell us, there's no reason for it, and also no grace to the moral conscience that's telling you to get up and do better in the morning. Yeah. So the better becomes vague, the reason becomes non-existence and the source of forgiveness, which is the power to go ahead and pursue that better life doesn't exist either. So there's no power for it either. So there's no basis whatsoever for the pursuit of the good life in the secularist or the naturalist perspective. Not to say that, of course, naturalists or, or secularists can't pursue a good life. Of course, in spite of themselves, they do. We can have an apologetic of borrowed capital there. But in itself, given its own worldview and foundations, there's really no reason to. So in a way, yeah, yeah exactly. In a way, we're, we're trying to say this is a particularly Christian theistic ground <laughs> to pursue resolution, yeah. even yeah. New Year's resolutions. Yeah, there's this human sense need for meaning and telos that is finding expression in it, right? But it's not rationally supported by the system. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and forgiveness and grace, I think, is such an empowering fuel for good works that without it, after a while, you come back to cynicism, you come back to a sense of loss that you can't do it all. And hence, you have the sense that nothing is worth it because you keep failing and failing, right? So 
uh, not just a, a rational, an irrational uh, uh, sense of what it means to become better, but also no power to do it. Yeah, that's good. All right, brothers. Well, it's it's been great discussing this with you. I'm encouraged now in my resolutions to strive forward. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and looking forward to continuing these conversations in now our second year of podcasting, uh, the year 2021. So it's great to be back with you guys. And uh, for everyone else, look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care. So, New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Watch less TV. I think that should be on all of our lists. <laughs> we should have one podcast that's like five minutes long and then have a post credit scene that's this whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, talk about John Favreau and Pixar and Mandalorian. All right. <laughs>